With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa Pork Farmer. Thank you to the Iowa Pork Consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Pour one more beer for me. Exile means quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your exile. HN Podcast. Miller and Dace on April 1st, 2018. We record this one. Steve, time to talk a little football. Uh, it's been too long, actually, and um, since you have now become the producer of these programs, which I really, really appreciate and enjoy, you had, a, I think, a good idea this week as we can pivot and focus on uh, football a little bit. Well, spring football is underway, and um, I, I think it's really important because over the years in my career, I have covered – I want to say a half dozen spring foot spring practices in depth at three different schools at Iowa, Iowa state and Michigan. And I would say pretty much six for six, the teams that I saw in the spring were the teams that they were in the fall. That, that didn't mean individual players didn't improve, but the framework of those teams that we saw in the spring is what they were in the fall. And I'll give you, you know, a good example from the University of Iowa is, uh, you know, I covered the spring practice pretty closely after Kirk's somewhat breakthrough season. You know, they, they got to a bowl game, won the Alamo Bowl over Texas Tech. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about Kyle McCann and the game against Michigan when he got booed or were they booing the play calling? And, um, you know, why wasn't Brad Banks ready to play? And when, when you covered that spring right up until the spring game, I mean, Brad Banks was putting up video game numbers. And what, we, what did we see in the fall? He was the runner up for the Heisman Trophy. And and I think that a lot of times fans watch spring games for the wrong reasons. 
you know, I've probably watched John about 50 spring games the last couple of years. You are sick. Around the country and every team in the Big Ten except for like Illinois. Um, and and every and the framework of every team I saw in the spring is exactly what we saw in the fall. I mean, what was the big story at Auburn coming out of the spring? Jared Stidham looks like a difference maker at quarterback. What did we see for them in the fall? You, know, you go back to last spring and Purdue. All of a sudden, an offense that had been pretty much stagnant for about five years, you know, there was up and down football, explosive football on both sides of the ball in their spring in their spring game. What did we see coming right out of the shoot in the fall? That's exactly what we saw with a brand new coach. Most of the time, the framework of the team you see in the spring is what a team is in the fall. And the reason why most fans don't don't follow or follow spring games and blow them out of proportion is one, they, they care what the outcome is. And then two, so much emphasis is put on the, 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 the star that nobody saw coming. Well, you know, this guy blew up in the spring and then we didn't see him in the fall. Well, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking at individuals more so than you need to see a framework. And the framework you see for a team is, is in my experience has taught me, more often than not, you'll get after we get through spring, summer is about individual improvement and welcoming the freshmen that haven't that didn't show up, you know, as early enrollees and getting them ingratiated. And then you get to two days, and now it's late July, and and August, and that is. Do they even have two days anymore? Well, they don't now because you're right. Because if it's late, it's late July because they can't do two days. So you know the first month is pretty much uh, competition for spots, mm-hmm. and then the last couple of weeks are preparations for the season. And that's why most of the framework of the team you will be in the fall gets done this time of year. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm really glad that you are able to glean so much because a you watch a lot of it. And you are the um, research department for this podcast. It couldn't be done without you. Which is why you. it's not very good. No, I mean, dude, you're you're sitting here saying that these teams are the teams that you saw in, in the in the in the fall that you saw in the spring. So that's good, and I'm glad you watched them because there's no chance, no chance, I'm going to watch anybody's spring practice on BTN, other than maybe Iowa's, and I don't know that I have the last two years for Iowa. And here's oh, I'll watch most of them. It's 32 degrees was the high today on Easter Sunday. Dude, it was 31. Yeah, yeah it, it was yeah. 31 in Tulsa when we got out of church. I did not like that at all because yesterday it was 65. Um, so but here, here's why that I don't. A, you're you're just like you are a college football fanatic for one, but two, I've seen and followed and covered. Too many Iowa Springs to where when the fall got here, it didn't matter what I saw in the spring. Let me just go back to 2015. Iowa went 12-0 and in the regular season. What was the one thing that you recall, and if you can't come up with it on the spot, that's okay, that, that you recall hearing from Iowa's spring game? The one quote that was like the takeaway quote from Kirk Ferentz from that spring. Do you remember it? Yeah, our twos are most of the people's threes, and our threes are most of the people's uh-huh. fours, something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That was the slogan. And they go 12-0. and 0. And I've seen that too many times. I, I've, I've, I've seen the star breakout receiver 
from the spring game. I think in back-to-back years, not even be on the roster by the first game. Seen too many of those things. I've seen the offense look like just runny poo, even in the kids' day practice. Well, then again, most Iowa offenses carry that into the season, so never mind. That's not a good one. But my point is, Iowa is Iowa puts the capital D in developmental, and I just don't glean much of anything from their spring. Now, 2002, yes. That 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 team looked like the most well-oiled machine in spring of any Iowa football team. And they remain easily the best Kirk Ferentz era team. And one of probably the five best in Iowa football history. So yes, every now and then you can find a, a glimmer or um, maybe a, a harbinger. But more often than not for me, Steve, I don't. If there are harbingers, it seems like maybe it's to the negative side. But again, the 2015 comments uh, certainly don't do that justice. So that's my take on it. Well, now that we've completely just blown up any reason to continue having this conversation, let's move on. I don't believe that. There are still questions. There are still burning questions. And those are the kinds of things that we should be talking about and that we will talk about. I just think what you what you think you see from one takeaway in the spring, they're not doing their Des Moines practice this year. It's going to be the Friday night spring game. I just don't know that you can take much away from that, but maybe you can. But I think that we can talk and take away a lot of things and point out what the big questions or concerns are heading into this season. And I think those will be right. Why don't we do that instead? Well, I I think there are five questions heading into this spring. I wanted to ask you about. All right. That, that, that if I were if I were an Iowa football fan, these are the things that I would be looking for. Okay. Okay. Number one, uh, who replaces Josie Jewell's production and leadership? Mm. Who is that guy? Whew. Because I think Iowa's defensive scheme can has has a certain level of stability that's been established over the last couple of decades under current Ferentz now whether it's norm parker and now phil parker the question though though is who, where does that leadership come from on top of of, of figuring out wh- where the production equivalent comes from your thoughts on that well the leadership i mean this is to me it, it's almost de facto it has to be parker hesse or maybe an anthony nelson and, and I just don't know that, what type of vocal leaders those guys are. I, I'm pretty confident Parker Hesse's pretty much uniformly respected amongst his peers. He's been playing for so long. But he's going to be one of the, you know, the few tenured seniors on this defense. I mean, Steve, here's your one lines. Anthony Nelson, who's, and we'll talk about him in a little bit later. Um, Cedric Lattimore, Brady Reef, Parker Hesse, Nick Neiman, Christian Welsh. Aaron Menz, Matt Hankins, Amani Hooker, Jake Gervas, and Michael Ojemudia. Not a lot of household names on there. There's some guys that got their feet wet last year. I mean, Hankins came in for a cup of coffee when Iowa went with three different cornerbacks, seemingly in three separate plays on one possession uh, late in the season. Um, Jake Gervas, you know, he flashed a little bit last year. Ojemudia played some as well. But there's really not a lot of household names on that list. So I think by default, leadership, probably Parker Hesse. But as with regards to replacing Josie Jewell's production, don't even try to say 
anyone can. I mean, he was one of the best linebackers in college football last year, one of the most productive linebackers. And in, given what Iowa's scheme is and what they try to do, he's one of the three probably best of the Kirk Ferentz era, and we know there have been several very good ones. So that says a lot. Um, so, I mean, right now the middle linebacker that Iowa has on the one line is Kristen Welch. Tell me when you you heard of that guy? No. Okay. I've not. Um, Aaron Mays. Lattimore and Ujimudi I'm familiar with because those are Michigan preps. Yeah. So and you, I'm you know, yeah. recruitment, you, so I know who they are. Yeah, yeah. There's just not a lot of guys that you're going to say, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Um, weak side linebacker, Aaron Mens. He's played a little bit on special teams, but not much experience in games. Uh, Nick Neiman, outside linebacker, most well-known for being the brother of a starting linebacker for Iowa last year, Ben Neiman. And he is a great athlete, great lateral quickness. I think he'll be a good player. But Iowa's already talking about having a linebacker rotation. Now, that's talk in March and now it's April. We'll see what happens when we get there. The backups being Barrington Wade, Jack Hawkaday, and Amani Jones, also players that most people um, that don't chug black and gold Kool-Aid have ever heard of. This is probably as inexperienced on the whole an Iowa linebacking core has been, certainly since they lost you know, Morris and Kirksey and, oh gosh, why can't I remember the other guy? Hitchens. You know, after, what was that, the 2013 season? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying that there isn't a precedent for something like this, but this seems like the most inexperienced linebacker core I can recall in the Kirk Ferentz era. All right, number two. Is there another Josh Jackson playmaker waiting in the wings in the secondary we don't see coming like we didn't see Josh Jackson mm-hmm. coming this time last year. Well, before the season opener last year against Wyoming, you know, before Iowa was playing against Josh Allen, you know, the the number one pick in the draft according to some people, and he's still getting a lot of love right now, actually. And Iowa made him look a little bit silly, as did other teams. Um, everybody was worried that Manny Ragumba wasn't going to play that game because he was suspended. And that that could potentially tilt the balance in that contest. I mean, Wyoming beating Iowa was a number of talking heads upset special that weekend, if you recall. I do. So with Manny Ragumba out, oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, Josh Jackson just goes and has eight interceptions last year, leads the nation in interceptions. He's a first-team All-American consensus and on a defense that led the nation in interceptions. But he's gone. And he made the right decision to leave. Manny Ragumba is still there. But he's on the two-line this spring behind Matt Hankins, who was a freshman last year, and Michael Ojemudi, the aforementioned player who came in and, and spelled Ragumba. Ragumba was benched during the course of the season, briefly, last year. So I don't know that it's Manny, but he has the talent to be a solid cornerback. Um, so... There's no one that I see that is waiting in the wings to have the type of impact Josh Jackson had. I remember when Jackson was a sophomore playing, or or was it a sophomore or was it a freshman maybe, 
playing over at Northwestern as a nickelback. And I'm, I'm like, wow, that he made me stand up and turn my head. Like, who who is this guy? This guy has some skill. You know, when you're looking at the cornerback, you know, Ojemudi and Rigumba, and then Matt Hankins and Trey Kramer. Kramer somebody they're pretty high on athletically. Maybe, maybe he's the guy down the road. But I don't see that, Steve, for 2018. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Last year, Iowa finished tied for 51st in sacks, which isn't terrible, isn't great. I saw 45, but, you know, 51st, 45, whatever. Um, yeah, I just looked it up like 24 hours ago. Yeah, I looked, I looked it but, up 24 minutes ago on CF, CF stat, CFBstats.com. But again, we're probably, it just doesn't matter. We're picking, we're picking right, I looked it. We're picking it here. I looked it up at NCA.com. Okay, so well, we'll go with yours. They're probably wrong because it's the NCA. <laughs> all right. But, um, Iowa was 51st in sacks, according to NCA.com, but was only five sacks away from being tied for finishing a hundredth in the nation, which shows you that once you get past the top 25, 30, 40 schools and sacks, everybody's pretty much bunched up, right? Mm-hmm. So how are you, how would you assess where the pass rush is this spring, especially given Iowa's bend, but don't break philosophy. I mean, I'm hearing you talk about all these new names in the back seven on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, they could really use some quick twitch guys up front that can pressure the quarterback while they're getting used to assignment football and they gain some experience early on, et cetera. So what's the, how's that look for Iowa? Yeah, I mean, and, and again, these numbers I'm going to throw out, well, you know, we're, we're, we're probably really close, whether it's 51st or 45th. Um, but the number I saw that they were, they were, I don't know, six, seven, six away from being in the top 25, 10 away from being in the top 14 with every pass rusher back this season that they had a year ago. Um, you're talking about AJ Epinesa had his first off season with Chris Doyle. He showed to be a budding disruptive force in the pass rush, but also a player that I think, even though he he did get a lot of snaps for a true, I mean, I I can't remember too many other true freshman defensive linemen getting as many snaps as AJ got for Iowa last year in the Kirk Ferentz era. I think he was up to about 30-35 by the end of the year. But you could clearly see the biggest reason why I didn't expect great things out of him as a freshman was the containment responsibilities that Iowa's defensive ends must have. He was fooled by inside motion, and he broke contain a few times. 
more than a few times, I mean, a few times a game. But he was so dang electric on his upfield outside rush, his speed rush, that it was worth the risk. I think an offseason with Doyle as well as spring drills and then fall drills, he's going to be more savvy. He's going to be able to react a little bit more as opposed to thinking. And I think that that can make him play even faster than he did last year. And I also think that he will have learned a few other techniques, you know, uh, a club over, um, uh, you know, individual techniques as opposed to them calling a twist stunt, which is, you know, just freeze up, freeze somebody up as opposed to him just having that upfield outside speed rush, which he still needs to use because he's just so dang athletic and cat quick. But he'll he'll learn some other hand-fighting techniques that will make him a much better pass rusher. Anthony Nelson is turning into being an exceptional pass rusher. Parker Hesse didn't have a great year last year as a pass rusher, but he's you know another year in the program. So I, I think that they have some really interesting options and talented options at that. So, Steve, I would lean more towards them being closer to top 25 than I would top 100. Well, unlike the previous conversations we had on the on the first two questions, there's a lot of familiar names in there Yes, if you followed Iowa football. And so you've got some guys that, based on what we've seen, seem like they're ready to take the next step and I go back to a conversation Kirk and I had many years ago now. <laughs> yeah, I know what it is. Uh, when, you know, you lost that entire defensive front from that 04 Big Ten championship team, and you brought back Chad Greenway and Abdul Hodge, and I remember asking him, if you had your choice between bringing back, you know, two potential All-American linebackers and an all-new defensive front or a really good defensive front and all-new linebackers, what would you choose? And he kind of – grimaced and said well i guess because of the way it worked out for us i gotta i gotta choose the two linebackers right well we saw that team that year wasn't as good as defensively as they were the year before even with those linebackers and and that's why uh so uh if i if you had your druthers you'd much rather have it the way iowa has it most years than in reverse where you have a lot of familiar faces in the first in the at the second two levels but at the point of attack, you're young, green, yeah. inexperienced. So I think that bodes much better than what I heard from you in the first two questions. Well, I do want to add a caveat to that. Uh, and I'm not trying to, to pee in our own Cheerios here. I'm concerned about Iowa's ability to stop the run. Now, this team is a, a defense that preaches gap integrity and assignment football. That if one man occupies his gap on the inside... That may mean he doesn't make a tackle or make a play, but it frees somebody else up to make that tackle and make that play. So I'm not expecting Iowa to give up 140 yards a game on the ground, but I'm not saying it isn't a possibility. I mean, Cedric Lattimore, unproven, one starter at a tackle. And Brady Reef at the other one, he's 6'3", 272. Not a lot of lead in that pencil in this league, in this division. His backup is Garrett Jansen. And Lattimore's backup, at least in the spring, is Dallas Jacobus, who, frankly, I've never even heard of before I just said that. So <laughs> when you combine that that potentially unknown soft defensive interior line with 
the unknowns we've already discussed at linebacker, especially replacing a player like Josie Jewell at middle linebacker, I'm concerned that Iowa's weapons they have in the pass rush may not matter as much and factor in because teams are going to be successful running the ball on them. You know, listening to this, I, I couldn't help but, and we'll have plenty of time over the next four and a half months to talk about this, but I couldn't help but envision really that Iowa's first test of the season, as it is most years. You're right. There were some, you know, smart set people last September that were picking Wyoming. But most of the time, Iowa's first big test typically is Iowa State because the way the schedule works out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Iowa State's mm. going to miss Lazard, obviously. I know what you're going to say. David Montgomery, one of the best running backs in the United States. I think David Montgomery was rated number one at pro football focus in the nation for most missed, missed tackles. tackles. Yeah. Yep. yeah. You have Kyle Kempt, get guys sixth year or fifth year, depending on how you do the math. So you have an experienced quarterback. They do have some nice other receivers. No, Lazard, obviously. They've got, uh, you know, their, their perennial offensive line issues. But I, I'm fascinated to see um, that Iowa State offense is constructed specifically to go after the sorts of things you just said you were worried about. The yeah. inside run with David Montgomery in order to force linebackers into the box so that you can throw those intermediate passes to those those receivers down the seam or on those post routes and we saw Iowa State hurt Iowa with that last year and and you know Stanley and um and uh, uh uh Wadley had huge games which helped bail Iowa out to win that game in the end in overtime but Iowa State with the system they run under Matt Campbell this is this is this is not the style of team you want to have these sorts of issues against. I mean, they are prescribed exactly to go after the stuff you just talked about, John. Well, yeah, and, and think back to, um, gosh, when, when was David Johnson a senior at UNI? Was that about 2014? 2014? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Guess what 2014 was? I already said it. It was the year after Morris, Kirksey, and Hitchens just left. And Iowa's linebackers could not find him in that game. And it wasn't just that game. It happened more later in the year. I think it happened against Iowa State. It happened several times. That's a concern. Now, I, I do feel comfortable might not be the right word, but I don't feel hopeless as it relates to Iowa being able to muck things up in the inside just because of how they teach that position. But, yep. I'm, but, I'm, cons- but, I'm, but I'm absolutely – that is – Iowa's middle is definitely something that fans should be wary of before their pencil in 10 wins for this football team. All right, two more questions. Number four, as you know, we talked about this all throughout last season, injuries forced Iowa to play some young linemen and different combinations last year. Now they've got to replace four guys who played a lot of football. Two of them at times in their careers were elite level players. One of them, I've seen in a couple of mocks at NFL.com. He's now slipping into the bottom end of the first round. I'm talking about Welsh and Daniels. What's the concern level? Because you know what my generic default setting is with Iowa on the offensive line. Right. Always, the baseline, as long as Kirk Ferentz is the coach, the baseline is effective. They're never going to be bad. The baseline is effective. 
All right, so if, if, if that's the baseline, what's your concern level about exceeding that baseline this year? Yeah, I mean, right now I wouldn't want to wager, you know, sight unseen too much better than effective. You know, you'd mentioned that they have to replace four guys who played a lot of football. They've already had to replace Boone Myers and Bike Edgar, Ike Becker, Bike Edgar, mm-hmm. uh, Ike Becker last year. So yep. they've already moved on from two of those four. But the two that aren't there, you mentioned Daniels and Welsh. Um, their two best linemen uh, last year were those two players. So you're not going to replace. And, and to me. You know, a lot gets made of your left tackle. You know, in the NFL, certainly. You're, but to me, in Iowa's offensive line system, with the zone blocking schemes, obviously with a right-handed quarterback, you want a, a nice little war daddy out there at left tackle, a little dancing bear. But the center position is the most important position on Iowa's offensive line, and you're losing a great one. Explain why that is, because most fans have have realized in recent years centers make the blitz calls things of that nature and are are at least on an on any offensive line in any particular system are at least as important as the glorified left tackle or blindside tackle position is right yes but when but explain why with iowa's own blocking scheme there's even more of an emphasis on that position well the first thing and you mentioned it is is calling out the schemes and getting everyone on the same page and, and being really the guy that has to count up what looks to be like the blockers that are coming. Now, a lot of teams, is like Michigan State last year, uh, or, or actually Wisconsin's a much better example. Wisconsin makes it look like well, you don't know how many are coming from Wisconsin right. or you don't know where they're from. You feel pretty confident that six are coming from Wisconsin. You're three down linemen and then, you know, three, you know, at least two backers, sometimes three backers. You just don't know where they're coming from. But then with Iowa's zone blocking scheme, when the entire line typically will move, if the run's to the left, they snap the ball and they're all moving in concert laterally down the line of scrimmage to the left. And they're not blocking based on assignments. They're blocking based on space. And you have to have this spatial awareness. Now, if you're you're running to the left, that left tackle is almost like a lead pulling blocker. And the left guard is similar but not quite as much of a lead as the left tackle. It's that center who has to look for backside knifing penetration that will absolutely blow up Iowa's zone play before the running back gets the ball and can make his one cut. If that center doesn't have the type of spatial awareness, lateral footwork, just, you know, excellent foot technique really is what it is, and his head on a swivel, you're dead. You're just flat dead. And so so to as as the level of importance to the run side. I just said we're going left here. Left tackle's a lead blocker. You get back to that center. He's just as important in many instances as that left tackle is. And then the right, the right guard and the, and the left tackle, or the right guard and the right tackle are a little less important on that backside because really, if the play is going to work, somebody can't come from that far back. So the center really springs. The cutback lanes, the center is the guy that's going to make the difference if a cutback lane is there or not with his ability mm-hmm. to, cut, to cut off that knifing backside defender. So let's put this in music terms. I've been watching several music documentaries on Netflix recently. Mm-hmm. What you just told our audience is that in a typical rock band, 
the lead singer and or lead guitarist are the stars. Everybody knows who they are. But if if you know we're on night seventeen of a thirty of a thirty city tour, and the 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 lead singer's voice isn't what it was on night three, there's backup singers. If you know uh, the uh, the lead guitarist uh, has a little too you know pops a little too many pills in between first and second sets, there's a rhythm guitarist if he misses a stroke. If the drummer screws up, everybody knows. Mm-hmm. They're off time. Yep. They're off beat. That's what you just said the center is in Iowa's no offensive doubt. lines. No, right? no doubt. It's the rhythm section. It's, I mean, you take John Paul Jones away from Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. um, they, they're, they're probably a really good band because Jimmy Page is a witch and sold his soul to the, another worldly figure. But, dude, it's the rhythm set. John Bonham and John Paul Jones, they, they're the heart and soul of Led Zeppelin. They're, they're what you feel when you hear it. The kick, I mean, Bonham had just a, a thunderfoot. So you're exactly right. The rhythm section is the, the center of it. That's, that's a great, great analogy. No doubt about it. So five of your ten, five of your top ten on Iowa Spring Too Deep are sophomores or freshmen, right? You, so the good news is this will be a very good offensive line next year yes it's a matter of how fast it gets there yes yes you you have Tristan Wirfs moving over to left tackle he started the bowl game if you remember at left tackle after making a few spot starts at right tackle because Alaric Jackson was suspended Alaric Jackson is going to be your right tackle so you've got some you know really really nice promising options a pair of 320 pound tackles at Iowa doesn't happen very often um, and, and Ross Reynolds is your starter at left guard, and he started several games last year at guard. Keegan Render is your center. He's 6'4", 307. So that's mm-hmm. actually quite, quite a bit more beef than Iowa is accustomed to at that center position. But again, let's go back to concerns about lateral footwork. I'm not saying he doesn't have it. I'm just using a stereotype here, which makes me think he won't have it as certainly as well as Daniels did. And then right guard, Levi Paulson, who's made a, st- a spot start or two, um, so there's experience there. This isn't going to be, oh, my gosh, I'm on the big stage, Ma, look at me stuff, because every one of those guys has started. It's just a lot of inexperience with regards to, you know, making that number of starts over a whole season, with the exception of Alaric Jackson and really Ross Reynolds. But behind them, a whole lot of unknowns. Mark Kallenberger, a freshman. They love him at left tackle, uh, but he's a freshman. Coy Kirkpatrick, Cole Banwart, Landon Paulson. Dalton Ferguson, guy that moved over back from defense. So, um, effective, I think, is the term you use. I wouldn't bet too much higher on it, sight unseen. Just to inf- let me add a final point, if you don't mind, on Daniels, just to demonstrate what those guys are replacing. And I know he's had injury history in the past, but I'd urge our listeners go online, find the video, or see if the NFL Network has it on demand of the Combine. This might be, and you know I've been a Mel Kuyper Jr. groupie for like 20 years. This might be the best interior group of interior linemen I can ever remember. I mean, we're talking Quentin Nelson of Notre Dame. Some people think he might be, other than Saquon Barkley, the best prospect in the draft, regardless of position. I might be one of them. Isaiah Wynn, Georgia. Uh, uh, the uh, Manny uh, Ramirez, UTEP. These are kids that are also being considered first-round picks in most mocks. 
We're talking three interior offensive linemen. Non-tackles is what we mean by that. Mm-hmm. Three non-tackle offensive linemen, at least, will go in the first round of the NFL draft. That mm-hmm. does not happen very often. And when you go watch their combine workouts and watch not the 40 or the broad jump, those things are important, but watch the drills, okay? The shuttle drills, things of that nature. And I'm telling you, to the untrained naked eye like us who aren't professionals – but know enough about it, like most of our listeners would, that we wouldn't know, we wouldn't be able to rank them 1 through 12. We wouldn't know the nuances, but we would know enough to know, hey, that guy's at a different level than everybody else. And when you watch James Daniels in one of the strongest drafts I can ever remember for interior linemen, when you watch him work out, you can look at his athleticism in a star-studded group and say, that guy is at a different level than almost everybody else. You would mentioned one thing earlier about – Iowa State and what they may have to zag to Iowa's defensive zig. This is another point that I just brought up. I mean, how many years do I have to say it? And last year, several teams did it. If I'm playing against Iowa, I blitz the hell out of them. I blitz them and I blitz them and I blitz them. This year, especially early, I blitz them. That Iowa State game is, you know, as as long as, as long as, uh, they don't pull a a boneheaded move like Iowa State did several years when Austin Arnott was there and just sat back and played in cover two. They 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 have some optionality there for sure. I mean, Ohio State's still wondering why they didn't blitz the heck out of Iowa last year. No, and it's ended up being why they weren't in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to the final question: the perennial, mm. the perennial question at Iowa. Who are, and we're going to leave running back out, uh, year in and year out, they recruit good running backs. Who are the outside playmakers for this team? Yeah. In in true Iowa fashion, I'm going to start off by listing tight ends. Noah Fant, he was <laughs> 11th in the nation last year. 11th in the nation in touchdown receptions as a tight end. He was 11th. He was three touchdown receptions away from being third in the country. He had 11, third in the country was 14th, and and the number one mark was 18, shared by two guys. And they were all receivers, mind you. So Noah Fant, he led the Big Ten in receptions. Dude is a nightmare mismatch. We saw him pull away against Ohio State secondary members. So there's no doubt that Noah Fant is a difference maker. And if he has another year this year, like he did last year, he'll be turning pro as he should. TJ Hawkinson is a great tight end, playmaking tight end in his own right. So I don't know any team in the Big Ten that has a better tight end tandem than Iowa. Not many of them maybe feature tight end tandems either. But out of that, this looks like a typical Iowa passing attack that's led by their tight ends. Uh, I like the thunder and lightning combination of Torin Young and Ivory Kelly Martin at running back. I think that will be more akin to what we saw with Daniels and Wadley a couple of years ago. I think Young's maybe a little more thunder than Daniels was. He's a one-cut, he's a one-cut run thumper. And Iowa hasn't had too many of those, per se. 
he, he when he makes his cut, he's going to put his head down. And he's going to put his shoulders right between your numbers, and he's going to smoke you. I really liked what I saw of him last year so much that I was a little irritated at times we didn't see more of him. Ivory Kelly Martin uh, is not Akram Wadley. You know, you heard me say last year I used and Kirk Ferentz even had Akram Wadley watch Ronnie Harmon tape in the off season last year. Wadley's the closest thing I always had to Ronnie Harmon since Ronnie Harmon. So I'm not saying that um, Kelly Martin is Akram Wadley. He's not. But I think that he has a similar similar shape of a skill set, just not to the elite level that Wadley had it. Um, but then you get to receiver, Amir Smith-Marset. He is the one player that I'm aware of on the roster that can take the top off of the defense. However, he seems to be in Kirk Ferentz's doghouse right now. Kirk called him out in a press conference recently saying that he wished that the kid needs to not be on his cell phone so much. And I don't think that's because the kid's on his cell phone in team meetings. Um, Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register last week wrote an article where he interviewed Chris Doyle. And Doyle was talking about the technology that Iowa uses that a number of schools are now using, but Iowa's been using it the last five years. The players the football players wear something like a sports bra underneath their clothes at all times. And they're electronic monitors that monitor a number of vital signs, calories burned, etc., etc., to help them with recovery. But it also, you know, lets the coaching staff see what they're putting into their bodies or what they're not. Let's the coaching staff see what kind of extra work they're doing or what they're not. Let's the coaching staff evaluate if they're getting enough sleep or if they're up late maybe texting or playing video games, things of that nature. I think Amir Smith-Marset is falling into the category of dudes not living the lifestyle that he needs to live or rather that the Iowa coaches want him to live. There, I don't know that he had any appreciable weight gain this offseason. That's not a good thing. So he's, he's, a, he's got speed to burn. But he's not following the system, at least at this point in time. Hopefully he, he gets the message. Um, Brandon Smith, who we thought might make an impact last year uh, as a true freshman, he is on the one line listed at 6'3", 220. And he is, he is out of central casting. He's carved out of granite. We'll see what he can do. Um, Nick Easley's also on the one line. And a guy on the two line, um, out of nowhere, named Kyle uh, Gronenweg. He's a transfer from Gronenweg. Transfer from the University of Sioux Falls. Yeah, I didn't know they had one either. Uh, he was your scout team offensive and special teams MVP last year. So once again, Steve, I don't know that I have any answers with regards to the uh, receiver position. That continues to be Ference's white whale as point guard is to Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. Mm. And that'll do it. That'll. Uh, that's all I got to say on that one. So that was an enjoyable, big deep. It's our first football hardcore deep dive in a long time, at least Iowa related. So fun to do. We will be back with more of those. And uh, coming up also this week on the Bigger Ten podcast, I'm going to turn the tables on Steve and we'll talk about the Big Ten East and some questions I have for him surrounding several of those programs. Look for that coming up here in a day or maybe even less than 24 hours. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.